Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Rich Fay, and on today's episode, we'll look back at the ball draw with Chelsea and discuss, was it a penalty? Was it not? Who knows? But one thing for certain is I'm joined today by Don Booth. Hello. And Tyro Marshall. Hello. And yes, it was a penalty. Okay, well, we'll get back to okay. end, end the episode now. Yeah, well, well, join us next week. Yeah, that's basically all we've got to talk about from the game. Stanford, which it was the fifth time this season United have played one of the so-called big six and, and been held to a goalless draw. Dom, I'll come to you first. I mean, we, we're going to pick up the penalty in a minute, but I guess the, the bigger issue for United is that that was the only talking point. Other than that, they didn't really look like scoring a goal. They didn't really look like conceding one either. I know there was a chance where Giroud could have latched onto it uh, in the first half. Uh, I think. But for you, what what did you make of the game? Do you think the draw was a fair result? Yeah, I think it was a fair result. I I think United's performance was better than in some of the other nil-nil draws against the the big teams this season. Certainly better than it was against Chelsea in October, Old Trafford, and that was like that was the most boring nil-nil. I think this was at least a little bit better than that one. I I think in the first half, especially, maybe after the first 10 minutes gone by and United maybe a bit nervous. I think the rest of the first half and for like maybe 10-15 10-15 minutes after the hour mark, United were actually very good and um, pressed well, pressed quite aggressively, more more aggressively than you probably would have expected them to do, especially without the, the pace of Eric Bailly to like make that recovery run at the back. And they forced Chelsea into some mistakes. They won the ball out the pitch quite a lot. But like you said, Rich, they just didn't, there wasn't anything clear cut really. I mean, the closest they went was a Fred right foot shot, which I think that says it all, doesn't it? If that was the closest that United went, was when Solskjaer was basically laughing on the sideline because Fred tried an effort with his right foot. That was, that's quite incredible. Uh, obviously, there's a Greenwood chance as well, another half chances. But yeah, I think it was it was a de- it was actually a good point for United. Really, they're not really in the title race. They kept Chelsea at bay in terms of the top four. Leicester lost. It was probably a better point than that. Say two points dropped. I don't think it was that really this time. Yeah, like you said, I think if there hadn't been the other four nil nils this season, then fans might have sort of excused this one as a one off. The, the issue is that it wasn't really. A, and Ty, we'll get maybe onto the over reliance on Bruno Fernandes in a bit. But when the team selection dropped as well, Ty, it's basically what we predicted. You know, Henderson. I know lots of fans want him to get a run, but he never felt like he's going to start that game. And Lindelof in for bye seemed predictable. And in the end, the fact that Chelsea went with Giroud maybe just about vindicated that because Lindelof, you know, against a static sort of striker is going to pay off. And yeah, the rest of the selection, the McTominay red herring was almost predictable, you know, the way Solskjaer gives his team news. But there wasn't much else United could do. Um, The only other maybe gripe fans will have is the fact United only use one sub. Yeah, possibly, but I don't think Solskjaer's got a lot of options, really, in, in terms of using subs off the bench. I mean, Van der Beek very rarely gets used, certainly when a game is is still in the balance. Obviously, he's just come back from injury, but it does feel like Solskjaer doesn't really trust him to influence games. Fernandez had a poor game, but he is United's only real playmaker, and he's just not going to come off in a game like this when it's nil-nil, um, regardless of how badly he's playing. So, I mean, in terms of the lineup, I, I said pre-match that it felt like a lineup everyone could could get behind, really, in terms of realistic options. Obviously, Henderson will have his fans who want him to start. Bayou will have his fans who want him to start. But realistically, I don't think we expected either of them actually to start. So in terms of realistic options, I think it was probably a team everyone could get behind. But it, it, you're kind of right with what you said a minute ago, Rich. In, in an isolated game, this is a decent result. Like a draw at Anfield is probably a decent result in an isolated game. And a draw at Chelsea, a draw at Arsenal is a decent result in an isolated game. The problem is this, this run of goalless draws is 
is hinting at a wider problem, really. I think since that since that six one defeat to Tottenham, United have obviously focused on, on being sort of defensively cautious in these games and, and the balance has probably gone too far the other way, really. I think they need to show a little bit more adventure. We all know there's far too much pressure on, on Fernandes to create chances as we will come to. The midfield plays with with caution, really, in these games and it's kind of left to the front four to, to create their own chances. I, I agree with Dom about the pressing. I thought it was probably the best United have pressed all season. The they, they confuse me in a way, United, with their pressing because you rarely see from game to game how they want to press. With with most Premier League teams now, you get an idea of whether they're a pressing team, whether they're not, how they want to do it. With United, it, it still doesn't really feel like we know quite how aggressively Solskjaer wants them to press and it does change from game to game. And Cavani's probably the best presser out of that front three, which is strange as he's the oldest by some distance. Martial, you wouldn't say, is a particularly energetic presser. And I think the figures back that up. I would say the same with Rashford, really. I don't think he's a particularly energetic presser. So it does feel like there's often no real structure to United's press. But Soscar mentioned it pre-match and, and they got it spot on, really, in the way they all went. The fullbacks were happy to go and confront their man on halfway. Fred and McTominay were happy to step forward when the ball got into Kante and, and Kovacic. And I thought that was definitely the highlight from a tactical point of view of what United did. They defended pretty well, albeit Maguire and Lindelof would have been delighted at seeing Giroud starting ahead of ahead of Timo Werner, I think. But the bigger issue is just the, the run of, of goalless draws and, and the lack of chances created, really. I mean, United are a bit of a contradiction in attack this season. They're the top scorers in the Premier League. But 15 of those goals have come in, in two games. And I don't. I think it would be a risk for the arguments about the attack to be brushed aside with, well, with the top scorers in the Premier League when there's clearly bigger issues in, in terms of goal scoring. That's six games now they've, they've failed to score in this season. I think every time City have won a title recently, they've scored in 36 out of 38 games. Liverpool scored in 35 out of 38 last year. One of them came after they'd won the title. So, you know, United need to be scoring in games like this. The, the process of how you win titles has changed and, and drawing every game against big six rivals isn't enough anymore. So... The next step really is to find a way to, to be more creative in these games and, and to go and win these games rather than drawing them. Yeah, that's something I really thought about. You know, the, the last title winners, the, the City and Liverpool ones, they beat, they were winning every single game against the mm. teams around them as well, which is something you don't you, you can take for granted, really. And like you said, Ty, the times have changed when you just wanted to go and beat in against the top four. Now you've got to beat them in every single game, home home and away. Uh, Dom, it's an interesting point as well that, you know, since maybe this season, more or less, United have changed their, their approaching games and Solskjaer's been keen to do that. But do you think there's argument that United might want to go back to the sort of 3-5-2 away from home against the other big teams? Because you know, United's record against the big six was good even before Bruno Fernandes came. And then ever since they've tried to maybe dictate the possession a bit more and, and put their own stamp on the match, they, they've failed to actually do so. Yeah, I flattered the idea of the 3-5-2 on Twitter before the game purely because there are a lack of options in midfield for United and, and they actually did have one extra option that we weren't sure they would have in McTominay being back available. So the 3-5-2 obviously worked a couple of times against Chelsea last season. I think that was I think Chelsea had a very soft centre last season under Frank Lampard and United did find a way to exploit that. They did the same obviously to a Man City team at the Etihad in a famous counter-attacking victory where they played three at the back. Again, that was a City team who are somewhat smarter and a bit more sort of streetwise now with them with as much stronger defence with Stones and Diaz. So if we're talking about United's game next week at the Etihad, I don't see the 3-5-2 being a template for that. I think it's Solskjaer trying to evolve the team in big games and trying to you know step on from okay we're going to sit back have 30 percent of possession last season it did work at, at times or sometimes it didn't as well uh, you know united were beaten handily by city or shafford last season and they were beaten both games by liverpool or they drew one against liverpool and lost the other one handily at anfield so 
there is some progression there in terms of the results against the big teams, although it doesn't look sparkling because they're all nil-nil, uh, apart from, you know, a 6-1 shellacking. United had 43% of the ball yesterday at Stamford Bridge, which is quite a lot, actually, I think, for a, a team playing against the Thomas Tuchel side, who basically Tuchel's tried to bore everyone to death with a million passes, hasn't he, since he, he took over Chelsea. Uh, and United, I think, created 11 shots as well, which is a similar amount to what Chelsea did. So it was a decent performance. You know, I'm not saying sitting here saying it was a fantastic, you know, swashbuckling attacking, attacking display, but I think it's just a process of evolution in the big games and I'm currently writing a piece trying to explain why there have been so many nil-nil draws this season not just for United but in in many of the big games and in many other games as well I think the lack of fans is definitely having an impact on that I think that teams become they become safe they become cautious and the fans aren't there to basically push them and to demand that they they go down the other end and attack there's just there's no sort of tension or or passion coming from the stands to to have an impact on players. I think Solskjaer said that after the nil-nil with Chelsea in October, he said that the Stratford end could have given them, them an extra edge. And, you know, we all know how good United's fans are away from home. They would have packed into that left-hand side as a press box look at Stamford Bridge and, and maybe something would have happened. And it's all ifs and buts, but I do think there is mitigation for the nil-nils this season. Yeah, and of course, Solskjaer is the fan of the fine margin sort of phrase himself uh, the most. And like you said, you know, I mean, I guess it protizing with a penalty well, but also on the fans, you know, if you've got an away end who are all screaming for a handball and a penalty, maybe that plays something on the part of the referee. Um, you've both maybe summed it up in the first 10 seconds of the podcast already, but I guess there's two ways of looking at the penalty situation. I mean, one of them is the fact that United shouldn't be bemoaning that, you know, for because they didn't create anything else really you know that was the only chance they really really had at goal and it doesn't really do much to to support or go against the the claim that they are sort of a penandes fc side but um the penalty for you clearly should have been given yeah i think it it looked a pretty nailed on penalty really i think like everyone else in real time it looked like it was greenwood's arm that had touched the ball but once you see the replay it's it's clear it's hudson adoy's hand his hand is in an unnatural place and i think everyone was was bemused when uh stuart well looked at the monitor and, and somehow managed to to not give it the explanation seems to be that he didn't think he's moved his hand towards the ball but i don't know what his hand was doing up by his head in that case it was a very strange decision i mean the handball rule seems to change every week at the moment so you can understand people not knowing what the hell's going on but that just seemed to be as clear as it gets that it was a certain penalty and United were evidently aggrieved by it. Um, with Luke Shaw's comments post-match, United have since said that he misheard what Harry Maguire said to him on the pitch about Atwell's explanation. Obviously, referees in this country make mistakes and then for the following week is complete silence. So we never actually get an understanding of why or how mistakes were made. So we'll never know what Stuart Atwell actually said or, or why he didn't give it and, and whether there was anything to do with there being too much controversy around it. But it's it certainly... A strange one. It looked a, a pretty clear penalty to me. It's one of these again. I mean, this is a bit of a, a side subject, but it will come back to debates about VAR. But to me, that VAR is irrelevant in that. That's just a poor referee yeah. making a poor decision, and it happens every week in the Premier League. And we need to forget about the sideshow of VAR ruining well, the VAR game. VAR did its job in in that VAR case. You have to say yeah. it yeah. pointed yeah. out the, the yeah, it pointed out to Stuart Outwell, and he went to have a look at it. It was then yeah. down to his decision, and he gave exactly. he gave the wrong decision, didn't he? Exactly. Yeah, we can all agree on, on that. Yeah. It's the same on Saturday, talking about a different game briefly, but the, the shambles with the Brighton goal at West Brom, that's nothing to do with VAR. That's just poor refereeing. And it's poor refereeing that we see every single week. And it's just, you know, for a league that says it's the biggest in the world, it's just it's just not good enough. And it was very, um, it was a strange decision. Let's, let's put it that way. I don't think anyone can work out why it wasn't given. 
I, this is completely irrelevant, maybe. But do you think there will, there will become a time in football where leagues almost try and recruit the best referees from around the world? Because the Premier League has been undermined week in, week out by homegrown referees who just don't seem to be up to the job. There must be, ho- I'm sorry, there must be homegrown referees out there who are who are up to the job. I, I don't, I don't buy that. You know, it's impossible for for people who have been refereeing in the Championship or the League One or League One to come. Pre- referee in the Premier League probably harder to referee in those leagues because they're that much more physical you don't have VAR to help you out you know there must be a better process for vetting and to decide on who referees which games and who referees in the Premier maybe, League maybe just a bigger pool of referees uh, yeah so uh, has a week, bad week like, like 12 or 14 referees I mean there must be more people who can who can officiate a game of football better better than that available well, I don't particularly buy the argument that the referees are poor I just think they make poor decisions and you know they obviously yeah. are human, and VAR was was created to try and help help that. It seems to have just made it equally as sort of misty and foggy when it comes to these decisions. So it creates talking points, and that's what people said they didn't want VAR for because they thought it would eliminate all the talking points. But it's yeah. definitely not done that, has it? Yeah, I guess that's. I mean, from my point of view, I don't mind the controversy and stuff. It's just the fact that VAR is there makes it less acceptable. But if you didn't have VAR, then we'd be having a good debate about should it be a penalty or not, and there wouldn't be a right or wrong answer, maybe. But when you've seen it checked by VAR, it seems certain there should have been one given. And you know, at the end of the day, it didn't go that way. And you know, if it did go that way, then maybe we'd be saying United got a fantastic win at Stamford Bridge, but they didn't. And uh, Ty, we'll we'll go on to the Bruno subject now. And you know, the, the the maybe the thing that frustrates fans and you know frustrates me watching United the most is that Solskjaer often speaks about how tired his players are, how hectic the schedule is. But he was the one who started Bruno against Real Sociedad in a dead rubber game on Thursday night. He's playing at Stamford Bridge a few days later and he looks tired, he looks low on confidence maybe, he looks maybe a bit frustrated. And, you know, it's the same problem which undermined United towards the end of last season. United were over-reliant on Fernandes, didn't give him a break when they needed to. And to me, it looks like they're repeating the same mistake again. Yeah, I think it was a huge surprise that he started against Real Sociedad. I think that Fernandes, I think, can look tired and frustrated when he's just having a game where things don't come off for him. We've seen now that he's an incredibly high-risk, high-reward player. His, his passing rate, his success rate is pretty average for a midfielder, but that's because he tries ambitious passes every time he gets the ball, basically. As soon as he gets the ball, his first thought is, what what can I create here? Where's the, where's the pass that's going to put a player through on goal? And the risk is that a lot of the time, or maybe a third of the time, those passes won't come off. And often in a game like this, he might only get seven or eight moments when a pass like that is on. And if they all don't come off, then he's going to look in, incredibly frustrated. And we've seen that he's, you know, he's a player that can't hide his feelings and, and frustrations on the pitch. And the, the pre-Chelsea press conference at the weekend, he was asked, uh, Solskjaer was asked whether Fernandes was the worst loser at United and, you know, whether that was a good thing. And we've seen that he just, he, if things are going wrong or United have lost or are having a bad day, he just can't bite his tongue and he can't hide his frustrations. And I think that can end up looking like frustration and maybe even tiredness on his part. When in reality, it's just his head's going to explode because he, he's having one of those days when things aren't coming off. The, the reward for United is that when it does come off, it, it looks brilliant. But the fact is, you can't rely on a player like that to be doing it every week. And, that's no criticism of Fernandez. That would be the same for, for any playmaker who tries those sort of passes in any team. What United need is, is someone who can take the burden off him. And I think that's where they're they're lacking it. It felt like, like yesterday, like it was a back six and a front four and the front four were to create their own chances. But United's front three are, are more goal scorers, I think, than, than creators. The signing of Sancho, I think, would have offered them something last summer in terms of a, a creator in a wide area. Whereas at the moment, I think they're probably more 
goal scorers, maybe with the exception of James, but Greenwood, Rashford and Martial are all goal scorers rather than natural creators. And I think, you know, we all know the pressure is is on Fernandes to create chances and United United need to find another way to, to do that. I think the way they pressed Chelsea um, yesterday could have could have created something. If you win the ball back off a centre half in in a promising area, then you know that that can often lead to a very dangerous situation. It didn't quite happen for United yesterday, and and when it doesn't, the pressure is all on Fernandez. And, and as we've seen, it's inevitable that during a season he's going to have off days just because his his game is so high risk. Dom, in terms of the subs United could have made yesterday, you know we've already touched upon them why maybe it didn't happen. But would you at least like to see maybe 15, 20 minutes for Ahmad at the end to just offer something different and to you know just give Chelsea maybe. Uh, having to deal with a player that they don't know much about and you know he's still so much of an unknown quantity I know United are, are trying to sort of ease him to life in, in English football but to me it just seems like just give him a go and see what he can do there's nothing to lose really yeah and you could say the same about Donny van der Beek although we weren't 100% sure how how fit uh, van der Beek was obviously he didn't feature in the, the Sociedad either the two Sociedad games or the Newcastle game in between them Ahmad it would have been a big risk wouldn't it I mean let's be honest it I was talking about risk-averse football, and that's why the nil-nils have been the way they are. We were never going to see Ahmad at Stamford Bridge yesterday. I just don't think that that was on the cards at all. And, you know, Chelsea had multi-million pound signings that they made in the summer to bring on, didn't they? You know, Timo Werner uh, came on, Pulisic had signed six months before, or or however long it was. I think, did Kai Havertz go unused? Who was basically an £80 million signing. He didn't even come on. Chelsea really should be finishing higher in the league than United this season, I believe. From what they spent in the summer, people were predicting that Chelsea were going to be the closest title challengers to Liverpool. You know, that was a, a genuine prediction that people were making in the summer. They've obviously had a, a change of management and a difficult season in many ways. And I think United and Chelsea are probably where they were at the end of last season. They're two similar sides. And... With maybe a full squad and with Cavani and Pogba, United have similar options, uh, but they didn't have them on Sunday afternoon. I don't think Solskjaer could do much. I think his hands were were pretty well tied. It is going to feed the Van der Beek debate. You know, that just keeps going on and on. And we're going to keep asking when he's going to be trusted to start, you know, a game, let alone a, a big game. Ahmad, I'm, you know, obviously going to be patient with with him and we'll see more of him going forward. Yeah, that, I'm not going to bring up the Van der Beek debate even more because we keep talking about it every week but he just isn't get, he isn't trusted at the moment is he and Fred and McTominay for all the criticism they get from some United fans they are much more reliable they are much more trusted they are Solskjaer's lieutenants really uh, in the centre of the park and I think they both pressed well they both can make pa- passing mistakes that can be erratic at, at times but they are um, you know dependables in the middle of the park and I think United I've, quite, I've got quite a lot to thank them for this season I, they really did shore up the midfield after that shaky start in a number of games with with Pogba and Matic I yeah. think um, Go on, uh, just, just to touch on what Dom was saying there about Chelsea and the difficulties they've had to spend in it I think this kind of touches on Van der Beek as well it, it shows just how difficult it's been to integrate new signings this year which is especially true for United when you get a new sign it's Every team these days, especially top teams, play complex tactical systems and, and things like that. And it takes a lot of work on the training ground. And this year, there just hasn't been any time for that. And I think it's the case at a lot of clubs that certainly attacking players that have been signed in the summer haven't really excelled. I don't think at any club um, that I can think of off my head. You've seen it with all of Chelsea's attackers that just haven't settled. Thiago at Liverpool hasn't been as good as people expected. And it's probably the case with Van der Beek that they just aren't getting time on the training ground to, to work out how to play in, in a new team. And it wouldn't surprise me for a full pre-season if all of them improved, especially Chelsea's and, and probably Van der Beek as well. Because, you know, United have played a midweek game every single week this season since September. And that's going to be the case until April. So every training session really since September has either been a recovery session or set pieces and looking at, at the 
next game. There's been nothing else aside from that. So there's been no time for Van der Beek to work out, you know, to, how United play, how Solskjaer wants him to press, what his role is. And when he's come on, he's played attacking midfield, defensive midfield. I think that's the case for, for Werner and Havertz and, and Ziyech at Chelsea and other players as well, that it's just been such a congested season that, that new signings haven't really been given a chance to, to have an impact. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, I think that, you know, United have made it clear when they signed Van der Beek that he's one for the future as well. And he's going to take a season to settle. You know, we, we say it almost every week, but Solskjaer cited Fred and Lindelof as two examples of players who needed that season to bed in and yeah. you know I don't think there are any concerns really at United for, for Van der Beek's playing time I know he's going to be frustrated obviously with the European Championship this summer as well but uh, yeah I think United fans do maybe need to like you said Tyler look at the wider picture and look at why he hasn't had the opportunity to, mm. to real settle yet um, so we're looking ahead to midweek Crystal Palace away it's usually quite a good fixture that one um, I know the, the game for me that sticks in mind is when Matic went late on a yeah. three, three years ago now or so um, in terms of the team selection for that one you know we often say that Solskjaer likes to rotate his team. Probably another four or five changes could be expected for that trip to Selhurst Park. Come to you first, Ty. What type of changes would you make for that game? I don't know. Probably not many, I would say. Just because I think his, his options are, are limited without Pogba. Probably without Cavani as well. He sort of spoke on, on Friday again about Cavani and said he's a player who needs a couple of sessions at full pelt to feel like he's he's ready to go and he's probably not going to get them. So you wonder if that, that might rule him out of, of Palace or at least mean he has to start on the bench so I think options are so limited I, I can't see any changes defensively really against against Palace Would you not um, Henderson by just for the sake of change or I don't I, I I mean I would I'd probably like to give Henderson a run but we've discussed it so many times now and I just can't see it happening Particularly with Derby next weekend as well you'd be putting him in for one game just to drop him out again Exactly, yeah. And I think, you know, De Gea, De Gea did pretty well. It was, it was In a way, it was a game that reinforced what we know about De Gea yesterday and that there was the ropey clearance in the first half and then the brilliant save in the second half. We know he's not brilliant with his feet, but he's a phenomenal shot stopper and, and that was a great save. So it reinforced what we know and I don't think he'll be dropped on the basis of that. Maybe Bailly just to give Lindelof a rest. We know he struggles with his back, but I think that would that would be the only change from the back six or seven, really. I, I'd imagine Fred and McTominay will, will play again. Um, Fernandes will obviously play and then up front you may be only looking if Cavani's not fit you may be only looking at Martial so Solskjaer has liked to make changes recently but it feels or this season but it feels like his options are pretty limited at the moment so I would think maybe two changes maximum I guess Dominic Yeah we keep saying this about um, about Martial I think I've said it a few times that there's a game coming where he, he needs to just grab a couple of goals and build his confidence back up we thought it would happen when he bagged a couple in the 9-0 against Southampton but as Ty alluded to earlier in the podcast, that game sort of stands completely isolated now uh, compared to, to all the United results around it. But Martial played absolutely brilliantly away at Palace last season after lockdown, created a, a goal out of nothing and United uh, stormed to a really important win as they, they marched towards third. I think Rashford and Martial together, they were brilliant in that period anyway post-lockdown, but I think that was probably their best game together. And like Ty said, again, if... If Cavani is injured, and I think Cavani continues to be a big loss for United, but you, you do just hope that that Martial can can thrive when in his absence. He, he hasn't made made anywhere near enough of a, of a Cavani absence so far. He should have seen that as a, a major window of opportunity for him, and it says a heck of a lot that Daniel James has been starting games and staying on in games ahead of Martial, and deservedly so. You have to say as well. I think James has been good of late. He was good against Chelsea. So yeah, Martial has an opportunity. Rashford has an opportunity to to sort of iron out the inconsistencies that we keep seeing in his game as well. And Mason Greenwood, I think you have to see them all three starting together against Palace. And you hope that they can click into some sort of gear 
that we haven't really seen uh, from them this season com- compared to the post-lockdown period when they were brilliant as a trio, and um, especially in that game against Palace. Yeah, and of course they outscored Liverpool's trio last season as well in the league. You know, that's, that's what's maybe so baffling for fans. It's the fact that that three were so potent last season. All of a sudden they seem to have lost that. I don't know really what it was. They just had the fluidity and understanding of each other last season. I guess it's mainly down to confidence. Like you said, Dom, a game against Palace in midweek could hopefully be the turning point for, for all three of them, really. And yeah, I think Greenwood was unfair to be hooked as well again at Stamford Bridge. I think he yeah. usually is the, the one yeah. of them who performs the best, but we should wait and see what lies ahead. So finally, you know, you hate to do them, but what's your prediction <laughs> for Wednesday night? I think United will edge it 1 0. Feels like Palace are a pretty uninspiring Premier League team at the moment. Feels like they're pretty defensive. You would think United will will have enough. Um, Palace are pretty cautious, so I think I think a, a tight game is probably in store, and maybe one nil, maybe two nil. Dom? Yeah, I think it'd probably be more comfortable. Actually, I, I agree completely with Ty in saying that Palace are a completely poor and inspiring. I mean. They got a lot of results early in the season, but since then they haven't done anything of, of note. And I watched a bit of the a game against Fulham before the United game on Sunday, uh, purely because I had some money riding on it, but I don't contend <laughs> gambling kids. Uh, it didn't come in for me. And I, I do think that Palace are really quite toothless in attack. They should not. You know, this United defence has been troubled by Palace. Uh, Old Trafford has been troubled by some quite poor teams this season. But really, uh, Roy Hodgson's side shouldn't be giving United a whole heap of trouble uh, at Selhurst Park. Cue the um, the music from is it always sunny in Philly where they yeah. play that that music? Oh, yeah. Enthusiasm. Oh, that's the one. Kirby Enthusiasm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cue that music in a, a Benny Hill display when the United can see three or four. But I do think United will probably win by uh, two or three. And they need a comfortable evening, don't they, with a the derby ahead and after a. A tetchy dour nil nil against Chelsea. Yeah, I was gonna say I've not heard confidence in the predictions like that since Sheffield United at home, which we all know how that <laughs> ended. But uh, I mean, I'd probably jinx the MEN jinx. Yeah. I'd probably go similar. I think it'd be similar to that Fulham away game where United went behind but then came back, and you know, United won't make it easy for themselves. That's what I'm probably gonna predict. But we'll wait and see. We'll be back later in the week to to discuss all that. So that's uh, all it is for today. Ty and Dom, thank you very much joining us thank you thank you rich thank you very much and thank you once again for listening at home as always please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already and we'll see you again next time